yeah. I, Rachel has been a gift to my life personally um, for, for the last 10 years that we've been in the journey. Rachel joined the church probably a few months in and, um, and has always been. She is a prophet, so she does um, call people to covenant faithfulness with the Lord. She does confront. She is that person and she, that is a gift I want you to know if you're, if you're confronted by a prophet, God has given you a gift. It's not a curse. It's not a burden. It's a gift. I, I, and I received, like literally last week, we had a meeting and, and I received the gift of the prophet who pointed out some things and I was, uh, and I was brought to a place of humility before the Lord, not, not because of Rachel, but there's someone that's willing to be bold enough to, to call us and to awaken us and to point out and to be the, the, the mouthpiece of God to bring us back to faithfulness to Him. And so I just want you to know that I, 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 I fully support you, Rachel, and, uh, and I'm for you, and I'm so glad that you're part of this community. Now, is Rachel a perfect person? Absolutely not. And am I, are any of us? Absolutely not. Is she on a journey of heart transformation? Absolutely she is. I, we, as we all are, we're not, it's not about perfection, but it's about, it's about uh, obedience and being faithful to the Lord, and that is who Rachel is. She is obedient to God. She costs herself. She has cost herself for this community. She has pushed through. She has faced the opposition and the confrontation of people who don't want to move because they don't, sometimes don't want to follow Jesus. Just because you're in this room doesn't mean you're fully yielded to him, okay? I'm not, <laughs> So it's, not, so it's not like you're going to get you know, beaten up about it or anything like that, but to know there's more for you. Every time the Lord brings a revelation of lack, it's, it's an invitation to more. If you're someone that, oh, I feel like exposed and I'm challenged and, and you've revealed where I'm lacking, and I understand that shame, if we have a structure of shame, then we can draw back from that. Oh, I don't know about how, how dare you say such a thing about me and you know, all that sort of, it's like, no, this, if the Lord reveals something, if he reveals your lack, it's an invitation to more. It's because he wants to fill that space where he wants to take out a lie to put in a truth. He wants to tear down an old structure to build up a new one. So I bless you. You're awesome. We receive you and um, we receive what the Lord has to bring through you today. Amen. all of this, I'm not convinced makeup is a good idea on a Sunday. Um, this is women's troubles. Oh, thank you. I love this family. Thank you for letting me mature in the Lord here, for letting me be imperfect here. I feel your grace. Um, it's true, I feel to speak on the Holy Spirit um, in me. Uh, Brad incredibly opened up the concept of what we believe in the Holy Spirit leadership in the church. And obviously that means Holy Spirit leadership in each of us. But what I had struggled with, ironically, this is so boomy. Thank you. Um, what I struggled with in even finding, and I, I think I've spoken on intimacy with the Holy Spirit repetitively. It's the, the thing I hit. But what I struggle with in learning how to teach and... Sometimes the Lord asks you to teach so you can see the soil. It has nothing to do with whether they've heard you or if you were effective. It's so that you learn the battlefield. You can see the deceptions. You can see the victories. And one of the hardest things I've found is because I'm a woman, 
And so women are more emotional, so obviously we're passionate about Jesus, and so that's why intimacy with Jesus makes sense to me, which is sad, so I'll just reveal how that's not okay. But when I come through this concept of intimacy, the other things I've discovered is we've all come from different streams, generally, either a more traditional background or a more charismatic background, and we've come in with our own understandings of what this is to be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I found that um, in some way or another, it can get categorized as the prophetic. I think because it's your senses that are supposed to have your relationship with your Holy Spirit operating. It's, it's for you. Those senses to see, to hear, to feel, it's for you. But we've been taught that it's for the prophetic. And so when someone says, I'm going to teach on the Holy Spirit, you go, it's for prophetic people. And that's hard then to teach from because I am graced with the prophetic. So it would make sense that I would teach on this. Like Brad and I would have a debate of it's not my seat to teach on because then it gets understood as the prophetic or it gets understood as the worshippers topic, you know? And it's, it's not. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit is what he promised us. And then we've misunderstood what that is. And so none of us have grasped, maybe till recent years, we're coming into that breakthrough as a church, that this is the sensate world. This is the manifestation world for me. That we would know Holy Spirit for me, and then from that we would pursue the grace that He gives us to reveal it to the world, that we would earnestly seek it and earnestly seek to prophesy, because we already have all these senses activated for me, that I then hear Him for others. I know many prophets who do not have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I know many who work in signs, wonders, and miracles and don't have intimacy with Holy Spirit. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on the day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name and we did mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That word knew means I was never joined to you. I was never joined to you. I was ne we never knew each other. We were never one. You can operate in the graces, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the powerful anointing that we all must earnestly long for. And all of us have given areas of anointing in our lives and we can operate in those anointings. I call it sitting in my seat. I can sit in my seat in the prophetic. I can sit in the place that he's asked me to rule and reign from. I can earnestly desire all of those graces and have no intimacy with Holy Spirit. So I wanted to share a bit of my journey because I've been so blessed to be brought up in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. And I think what I found when I was discussing this with Brad was um, everything gets so intertwined, everything gets a bit jumbled in our understanding of Holy Spirit. And so even to talk about intimacy with Holy Spirit, people go, yeah, I, I can recognize his anointing. I know when he's doing something. When I walk in the grace he's given me, I have this very strong nearness with the Lord. We have these understandings, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but I almost feel like it's like a ball of twine or a bowl of soup. And for me even, I was like, can we just dissect this a little and unpack it a bit and separate some 
old structures, bring them out, label them for what they are, thank the Lord for what you've learned in those things, but kind of come back to what, what is know the Holy Spirit or what does I knew you mean? Is that okay? All right, so up until I was about 22, 23, brought up in charismatic upbringing. In high school, we went and lived with a different family, and so I also went to a, Pente- uh, to a Presbyterian church for a while, and then a Baptist church. Those were my two. So I did six years of quite conservative church, what, then go home in the school holidays, and there's like a youth revival happening in our <laughs> church and home, and oh, it's okay, whatever. So this is the fun that we did. Um, and I want to talk about the charismatic Pentecostal upbringing, because in this setting, I think one of my strongest memories was, I, was, I mean, we, we experienced the anointing in our community very strongly. It was familiar for me to witness rolling on the floor, laughing. Like manifestation was familiar to me. Um, vomiting, deliverance. See, this is the beauty of going in a third world country when spiritual things are very real is that you don't kind of go, well, I'm comfortable with this and I'm not comfortable with that. And when you're in a country where all those things are here, you don't get that choice. It's just manifests in front of you. And we're so conservative. (laughs) Well, we think we are. I'm telling you now, we all manifest. But um, we're a much more conservative nation in Australia. The the Western world is more um, tied up in how we appear. And so it comes through in our manipulation and in our bullying and in our slander and our deceit. It comes through differently. And of course, our worship of other idols, um, New Age. It comes through in our false pursuit of peace. It comes through our false pursuit of joy. It comes through differently. It still manifests. It still breaks up marriages. It still abuses children. Yeah? It's just often very hidden. Uh, and normalized. But one of my strong memories was we visited Hatfield Church in Pretoria where we later, all three of us had um, a year in sort of like a discipleship school and you could stay on and then do Bible college. But we did that first year, a little bit like YWAM for some of you who've done that sort of thing, you know. And, uh, but we were, when we first, my first memory of Hatfield, huge church, and it was while the Toronto revival must have been happening because the Arnots, this is familiar to some people who are Pentecostal and totally not to the rest, write names down and just go Google. So the Arnots came and ministered there and there was just revival nights. And I remember it was primary school age. I'm in my mid-30s now. So primary school age and I remember climbing up on a chair to see the stage and someone walking up onto the stage and speaking out in tongues. Now, for, for people who are more conservative or who haven't witnessed this, you're like, okay, how did you know? And you've got all these biblical questions and how did you test it? When you're a child, you witness and you sense the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how much for me, I'm like, I need my children to sit under the anointing. I need my children to sit under the anointing. To make the anointing familiar to your children is so essential, not just because it's the most important thing. Relationship with the Holy Spirit is the most important thing. But sitting under the anointing, the power, watching signs and wonders happening, watching someone up, come up, and he mimed, that was right, he mimed this whole prophetic word, mime, like was speaking in tongues and building with his hands. And I, my dad was next to me, I remember holding him and seeing, and then he finished. And the anointing was so thick in the room. It's a substance, you know? And then 
he did the whole thing again in English and explained everything that the Lord was saying, all the movements. It was so powerful. And uh, we can be critical as adults. We can go, oh, like he's prepared that beforehand or whatever. But as a child, you're not watching a performance. You're sensing the spirit. And as an adult, I kid you not, people can walk in and give me something from the Lord or give me something that they feel is from the Lord. And I can sense the difference because I tasted the anointing. To put your children in the anointing means you raise them up with discernment because they're constantly tasting the real thing. I remember I would have been still a teenager, young teenager, and someone had come over, my mum was ministering, ministering to them. And I went to my room and I came back out and mum had gone and dropped her off home. And dad was there and I was like, where's mum? And he said, oh, she's just, he's, she's just gone to drop her off home. And I looked at my dad and I said, I would not have let her go on her own. And I was maybe 11, and Dad is like, why? And Mom ended up getting attacked by that lady. And it's the spirit in you just learns discernment when you sit in that place. To not learn relationship with him can then make um, walking in the anointing deceptive because you consider the anointing um, almost a place of identity. It's where you can become addicted to ministry or where you feel this is where I belong and you need to be in a place where you're operating in the anointing and you don't recognize what it is just to be a friend or to be a son. But to learn the anointing is still important. So I didn't want to bag or crash against the charismatic movement. It's been so beautiful to witness it. Uh, when I went into full rebellion out of deep pride and deep bitterness, there was a lot of pain. My rebellion wasn't atheism. My rebellion was still going to church every Sunday whilst living broken and angry and in sin because my rebellion was angry with God because I could not deny him because I had seen what he had done and I had felt him in a room. For your children to know the anointing keeps them. They, there's nothing like the anointing. There's nothing like it. It is the most sweetest, powerful place to sit underneath the movement of the Holy Spirit on a body of people. It's such a beautiful place. So don't keep them from it because it's scary or unusual or, oh my gosh, there were scenes on a TV show for my son and one of them was a deliverance scene and I thought, oh goodness, and Toby's just like, is Jesus making him better? I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, it's happened now, can't fast forward it. But they don't seem to feel the fears that we feel. And yet he's a very sensitive boy. He can be nervous of certain things. But they get, they feel the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's, an, there's nothing in the way like the mind that we have as adults and the fears that we have as adults. So put your children under the anointing. So I just want to honor the charismatic and the Pentecostal movement. I think hosting a revival is one thing. Continuing that movement comes with stewardship and relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think what has come out of revivals in the past has been a focus on the gifts. Brad will laugh at me. It's not actually gifts, it's graces, but they've been called the gifts so that people would... I don't know, hold them well, or I don't know, but they were called gifts. And so then we'd do a lot of studies on the gifts that we're given from the Holy Spirit. Would this be familiar to some people? I'm not bagging it. This is important stuff. Have you heard the gifts? I grew up learning about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? 
actually the right word is grace is I guess the difference too is that if I give you a gift I let go of it but if it's grace it's been portioned to you but I'm still pouring in and so when it's a grace you recognize who it's from you recognize that it's holy and remains holy because it's it's Christ in you, it's Holy Spirit moving on you in this hour. But when it's a gift, you kind of hold it and then everybody loves you for your gift. Have you seen that in the charismatic movement? <laughs> Have you noticed that if they're honored for their gift, there's often that again, that addiction to ministry, but there's also a huge glorification and a forgiveness of all your sins because your gift is so valuable to the church. Yeah because you can live in sin and operate under the movement of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? That he can rest his grace on you for things and yet you can be living in full sin. Full sin, because you're designed and made into a vessel that's designed for the graces he's putting on your life. And you can, you can completely confuse yourself into thinking that your sin is acceptable, even permissible. I want to talk about the gifts, the graces, calling them gifts, not because they're called gifts, but because gifts is what we've known they are. But I'm really hoping one day Brad talks on this because he's way better at this one. But these are the ones found in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and then we've got Ephesians 4 as well. So you would have known the fivefold as an office, but we were taught that they were also gifts that you would have or graces of the Holy Spirit that you'd have because there are apostles in the workplace. There's prophetic people. You can be a prophet without being in the office of the prophet, yes? So we had, these are in alphabetical order. Administration. Who feels that they have an anointing for administration? This is not mockery, this is valuable. Do you feel when you are doing admin, even from a leading management section to just simple admin, you just feel a pleasure in your life? You feel a pleasure or a grace from the Lord? It ain't me. Who's that? Yep, yeah, good. What about apostleship? It's probably a harder term, but Brad can lead into that more. Discernment, it's great. When it's not into the Holy Spirit relationship, discernment can get also confused with suspicion. That's one of my life. You have to hand over your fear of people if you operate with discernment. You have to surrender to the Holy Spirit and let it mature your heart. Evangelism, exhortation, so high encouragement. Just whenever you encourage people, yeah, you just feel the grace of God. You should. These are graces. You should feel nearness to the Lord. Faith. You just feel like faith makes sense to you. I'm also that. I feel like it's not a big leap. I love it when he pushes me into new areas of faith because faith makes sense to me. Giving. There'll be givers if you don't want to put your hand up because you like that it's humble. I'm not mocking that. That's fine. My husband is this. He's a giver. Healing. Healing makes sense. You feel you can pray for people. You don't understand why someone wouldn't want prayer for healing. You feel a nearness to the Lord when you pray for people for healing. Interpretation of tongues. Mom, you used to operate in that a bit in the past, yes? Yes. And <laughs> hide me now, thy great Jehovah. Um, word of knowledge. You just get words of knowledge about things. It's been lately talked about as a great way of evangelism, but word of knowledge, leadership, that was the word over my whole life. Every prophetic word, just this last week. Again, leadership, yep. Um, mercy, oh my goodness, if you don't know Kath Hurry, you haven't met mercy. There's mercy, mercy gift. Um, miracles, 
Then we had shepherding, teaching, tongues, not talking about personal tongues, talking about that you can give a tongue like I gave an example before. And then we have wisdom, prophecy, and then service. Who, when they serve, when they feel like I'm okay with supporting someone who's more upfront, like I just feel near the Lord, I feel like I'm being obedient. Who feels service is their thing? Yes, it's holy. So these are graces are so good to learn about, and it's really important that we acknowledge that there is an anointing on your life for these things. And yet Paul encourages us to earnestly seek all of them. It's really important because what we often got taught with the gifts, and more that I'll talk on just now, is that you look for the one that suits you best. Because we've approached Holy Spirit with what suits me best. Where Paul says, You'll notice them on you, but earnestly seek all of them, especially to prophesy. Okay, all right. So we've been taught the gifts, but a lot of it's been like, find your gift, find which one you are, do the personality test. There were gift tests, I remember doing them. Super helpful because you also know what's already active on you, what the Holy Spirit's already Um, I do call it activated, and we can pray into activation for a lot of things. Things grow as you steward them. Have you seen people who crush under their own anointing? They don't have the character. They don't have the Holy Spirit. I've seen, especially in young adults, older teenagers, they track with suddenly an anointing, healing, or the prophetic, and then they go to prophetic schools, and they go to healing seminars, and suddenly that gift just increases and increases on their life, and it's beautiful, and they crash because they feel abused by God because now they have to obey because they can hear the anointing on their body go off all the time and they haven't understood the heart of the Father behind that gift. They don't know how to yield it. They don't know how to rest in Him. They don't know how to operate in maturing their gift. They don't know how to do any of the in relation to the heart of the Father. They just feel the anointing and then assume I have to do something. And you get abused by your own gift due to your misunderstanding of your relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's very dangerous but highly recommended. (laughs) School in this, grow in this, learn this. The last thing people will tell you is mature your heart. Learn how to love your best friend. Learn how to love your mother and father. Learn to deal with your pain. Learn to deal with all your junk. Start to learn the life of stewardship, discipline, and love so that when the Holy Spirit graces himself with the things he wants to give you for that day, you can handle it. The most holy thing we can do is relationship. Well, love, otherwise clanging symbols. Love. We don't know what love is unless it's happening right before our eyes and we get feedback and we realize if we're doing this right or not. Yeah? Love is what makes these things holy and effective. (sighs) All right, then then I remember So now more conservative in the middle, maybe more Baptist. This is not done with, I love the church. I am quite comfortable in any setting, so please don't hear preferences. If I can hear the Holy Spirit, I'm happy. Here's the, the, we we learned the five love languages, yeah? Have you done the five languages? Personally struggle a little bit with it, but I'm okay. I like identifying things, like my son is high touch. High touch, high words of affirmation. But I've noticed that if I pour in love, then he needs all five. Half the problem is that we haven't lived pouring in all five, and so then one gets demanding. I need this one, I need this one. And so we often have a higher one that we need because it's in higher lack, when really we need all of them. 
And so then based on that teaching, which isn't wrong, but is probably has a fuller truth, we've then gone, oh, I think it's the same with God. So there's five love languages with God. And, and it's not that he has five, but that we have five. And so we make him like man and we say, I feel loved by God when he speaks my love language. We've done it. Who's done this? I did this. Yeah. So I feel touch, you know, and I'm words. So when I read the word, that's when I feel loved by God. And they're beautiful things because it's important to notice what ministers to you, especially when you're in dry seasons, find the well that's still running. Find the well that still finds him. It's important. But we've made him like man and made him so that he operates within our comfort zone of what love should be and how we should meet. Like, you've made me need words of affirmation, so I'm going to find you in the word. So when he does that stuff in the room, that's not me. That's those people who like touch and those people who like, what are the other ones? Goodness me. Quality time, yes, yes. Those ones who spend ages in worship, they like quality time. Do you see how we justify it? It goes further. Who else learned the seven pathways to God? This is quite conservative, yeah? Seven pathways. This is how do you feel? You feel closest to God when relating with others. These are things I learned. So there's valuable things. Because I tell you, when you have nothing, you can lean into these things. But maturing love is a surrendered love. So let's look at these. Okay, the seven pathways were relational pathway. So I feel closest to God when I'm relating with others. Yes, put your hand up. It's holy. Do you feel closest? There we go. Yes, good. Number two, intellectual pathway. I cannot engage with my heart until my head is fully convinced. I don't really enjoy the worship time, but I'm fully, fully fed on the sermon. Yep. We've probably slightly scrubbed this one out of our community, but it's a way of thinking, especially for the <laughs> more reformed. Oh dear. And then the serving pathway. I feel closest to God when serving his people. Yeah? Yeah? Contemplative pathway. I prefer to spend endless time alone with God, and I appreciate sacred traditions. I love just taking communion. Uh, I love even incense and things like that. Those symbolic things are still important to me because they remind me of things. I, I love reminder stuff. I love symbolic stuff. So this, this isn't mockery. I'm just loving what we've been taught that makes us feel more comfortable. <laughs> okay. I feel closest to God. It just baffles me. Anyway, contemplative. That was that one. Endless time alone. Really doesn't work well if you're a contemplative and then you have children. Then I'm screwed. I'm not going to feel close to God for 10 years, basically, <laughs> maybe 15. Yep. Activist pathway. I feel closest to God when I'm out on a limb, when f I'm taking faith challenges. Yeah? There'll be some of us that go, this is where it just feels right in my gut. It's not that that's not true. It's just that doesn't mean that you're having one with the Holy Spirit. Creation pathway. I come alive when I'm out amongst nature. I feel awe, and it's the closest I feel to God. Jess, there's many of us. I love nature. It's for me too. I love nature. Musical worship pathway. Yay, I've got my own box that I get to be put in. I feel incredibly close through song worship. I'm not really connected in the sermon. It's actually part of the teaching when you do that course. It justifies, do you know that if, if the Holy Spirit is leading both the worship and the teaching, I am feeding one and the same. 
We need to recognize that in our tracking with Holy Spirit, we can sense that and you can feed in anything. It's really important. So I need to talk about how knowing him began because these pathways confuse me because I understand that Jesus is the pathway and the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to me. And he says that the Holy Spirit, we read it out, the Holy Spirit is in me. And so I'm supposed to commune with him all day. The problem with path, pathways, the problem with love languages, the problem with the gifts or the graces is that we are making it categoric to what we're happy with or hiding it in when his anointing hits without any of my stewardship or investment. The truth of Holy Spirit in me is I feel him here in this time of sung worship and some of the things like that are easy for me. If music just plays, holy music, I should add, some things makes me bleh. But if, 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 uh, if Jordan just played the keyboard, I don't need words, I can just, there he is. So music for me is a grace, I can just, I'm there. But do you know that because I'm head in this church, music is a grace for you? You inherit what we carry. Seeing is a grace for you in this church. Intercession is a grace for you in this church. You get the gift of your parents. <laughs> Sounds really weird, but do you know what I mean? As the headship of your church, it, grace, it flows through. If I'm not living in purity and in surrender to Jesus, you get that. You get my junk. That's what leadership is. If I'm not dealing with my matters, you carry it. Just like a head of the home, a father, if you're not dealing with your junk, your kids end up doing it. Have you noticed? It's the same in the church. I'm glad I'm not Brad, but I'm close. I'm close. If I'm gonna call myself a leader, it comes with a lot of responsibility in secret. The light must be on always if I'm willing to talk to you about the light and the darkness. It must be. If I allow deception, I can't expect you to see. Yeah? All right. So for me, oneness with Holy Spirit means He's in me. So the difference of the graces, the pathways, the love languages, the personality types, and I knew you, is if you are in me and I am in you, then I can feel you like I just did when Jordan played the keys. I can find you while I'm washing the dishes. I can find you at the till, buying my groceries. I can find you when I'm changing nappies. I can find you when I'm raising my voice with my kids. I can find you when I'm driving. I can find you in grief. I can find you in joy because you're in me. Knowing and oneness is all here all the time. And our, really, our responsibilities are much more simple than, um, simple is probably the wrong way. It is not this, it's not the way you like it. The way that you find oneness is through complete surrender and complete humility. You cannot do it within your personality. He's so kind to find you and speak to you the way that you might hear, but he won't not be God. So he's going to be bigger than your comfort zone, bigger than your understanding, and bigger than your personality. And it, the moment that surrender starts to be something you're willing to do, that becomes the most delicious meal you've ever had. The greatness, the difference, the, the, the beyond me part of Jesus becomes the most exciting meal. It's the most intimidating if you're not willing to surrender. 
How this worked for me, I just said I went through deep rebellion. It was in my early 20s. Chaos surrounded me. And yet I was uh, at attending, I was attending with the church. I have to put a coin in the jar. I nearly said at church. Mm. See, I grew up in this. I constantly look at Brad and go, help oh, my language, sir. Um, so I was part of a church. I was fellowshipping on Sundays, because that's what you do. Um, but completely angry with him. Um, I know I've shared it before, but it seems so simple. But I wish I could say it differently. I wish I could say I chose something. I wish I could say I did something. I wish I could own some bit of it so that I could give you some sort of tool. But I, I woke up in the morning with his voice audibly. And I, I know that's unfair, right? Like, and he, all he said was, I woke you today. But the gift in that moment was it exposed my pride. You know, we say he opposes the proud, and he does. That's why so much chaos was happening in my life for so long. But how merciful that he would reach through my pride and say, I'm the bigger one out of the two of us, and I woke you today. And thankfully, my response was a smidgen of humility. Because he honors humility, and he continues to speak when there's humility. And I don't think we've even scratched the surface as a community of what humility really means. To know Jesus is truly to know humility. I've done a few years now of exploring and understanding pride as the doorway to all sin. But this year, he said to me, Rachel, this year we're going to get through with humility. And that's personal, but of course it's corporate, so take that one home with you. But um, it was the first time that I realized I'm going to pursue understanding humility, not just learning about pride. Brad often talks about pursuing righteousness rather than avoiding sin. It's the same. We can be aware of pride in our hearts, but our job is really to pursue humility. And to pursue humility is, is Jesus. But to learn that in the, the garden, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he said to them, you can be like God. His temptation was have pride. And they took it. What we gave up in the garden was, was our humility. Christ's returning, as much as it would be nice that we'd go for healing and for miracles, Christ's ultimate returning was that he humbled himself and came so that we could have humility back. Our biggest weapon as Christians is to walk in humility. Our biggest connection with others is humility. And our greatest way to walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit is humility. I know that's just hit hard places, like uh, that word is so familiar. But I'm just gonna leave it and if we teach on it at another time, we will. Or I can encourage you that that's for this house and you can start looking at books on humility. Andrew Murray's book, Humility, I'm sort of weeping my way through it at the moment. It's profound. His next book, and they can come as a two-part series, is called Absolute Surrender. So just get them both, because they're worth it. Oh, I can tell this is going over heads, and it's okay. It's okay. Jesus knows what he wants to be received today. So, Brad read out John 14, and it was really powerful. And I'm just going to read a, 
bits of it so you remember. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Interesting this morning, we just said, oh, Jesus, what a savior. We, we loved on him for being a savior. That word helper also means savior. Does that feel funny that we have, the Holy Spirit is also called a savior? Cool, eh? So Jesus was the savior. He removes our guilt and our shame. Holy Spirit is the savior because he graces us out of sin. So we are still tempted to sin, yes? So he is the one who pulls us through, he graces us. So it's, he's considered a savior just as Jesus was. We can glorify him for being our savior just as we glorify Jesus. How cool is that? Do we glorify Holy Spirit for being our savior? It's cool. Um, and then it goes on because um, even uh, whom the world cannot receive, but because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, and that word means know, intimately know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. I love that he says you will see me and that he'll make himself manifest to you. So I guess for me, what happened was... Um, I'll leave that. Um, I started this journey of him speaking to me and my response was humility. And then a few days later, I woke up in the morning, sat on the end of my bed preparing myself. I had chronic fatigue, so I was preparing myself for work. And I suddenly went into a vision, never happened to me before. I got visions for people all the time, prophetic, because I could operate on the grace in me. So I'd see a picture and I'd tell you what Jesus is saying. Oh, I hope so, because I didn't know his heart. So I would tell you things I think he was saying with no understanding of the heart of the Father. But, you know, exercise that gift. And then, so there I was prophesying for people. But if you asked me if he spoke to me, no, that was my, bitter, that was my bitterness. I've seen you move. I've seen you heal. I've prayed for people and seen deliverance come off their hands. I have prayed for people and seen them, like, healed, delivered, set free, on the mark prophecies, where are you for me? That was my question in my bitterness of how he should do things for me. Because I know better, because I'm smart. And um, there I was in this vision. I'd never had a vision like this. I'd see pictures, but not in a vision. And it, it was so normal. I didn't realize till afterwards that that was a bit abnormal. In the moment, I wasn't really distracted by, hey, what's going on? I was just in it. And I was sitting underneath an apple tree. I remember looking up and seeing an apple tree. And I kind of got up and kind of walked around and I looked at the tree and then as I grabbed an apple, he says, it's that easy, Rachel, there's grace for today. That was it. And then I saw normally. <laughs> but you see, these things give you a hunger because now you're encountering him talking to you. When I had that vision, I didn't know till five or six years later that that, in Song of Songs 2, it says, I, and I awoke her underneath the grace apple tree. That's amazing, hey? They will, there's nothing, it doesn't matter how powerful the grace of God can hit your life, there is nothing that will sustain it except for an intimate relationship with Jesus. There are places he will ask you to go because of the anointing. There are places he'll ask you to go because of the war. 
There'll be places he'll ask you to go simply because darkness is increasing and light must also increase. And you will not sustain it unless you have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. That he would know me and speak to me so dearly within my own room while I'm still walking in sin and pride is just unbelievable to me. But from then on, wonder came in of, okay, you're speaking and I can hear. And something softened. A tender heart is incredibly important. <laughs> um, hey, uh, we, we have a lot of opinions towards God and we don't notice it. But a tender heart really, any place where you can yield and where you can surrender and go, maybe I don't know what's best. Um, and just turn your heart into hunger is super important. Um, the journey began there. But there were years, years of my health not coming through. Um, years still with anxiety, years with uh, panic attacks in the night. Uh, I would dream a lot. None of them were great. I had to shut doors. There was demonic access there. But I also then had to realize that the only way to understand when suddenly dreams that were like pizza dreams, but they were full of the anointing, when they started happening, I had to pursue understanding. I couldn't just go up to someone and say, can you help me understand my dream? I think we think that anything to do with the Holy Spirit is just like, can you impart it and then I'll know. And there is an element of receiving impartation, but like any relationship, it's purely stewardship. You must pursue understanding. Uh, it took, uh, I spent at least a year and most of my topics of the books I read and the teachings I listened to were on dreams. Because I could help someone with dreams to explain what I know as much as possible. I can give you tools, I can refer the books, but in the moment tell you stuff. But truth be told, your dream makes sense to you when you understand it because of who you are. He really does talk to a person's understanding. It's all in the metaphoric and it's super bizarre. Super bizarre. But it's beautiful if you can immerse yourself in that world, humble yourself and go, I will, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to understand. Instead of this is too crazy, this is weird, I'll go get someone to interpret when I have one or two every now and then and walk away. This is the Father who is willing to speak to you and have intimate relationship with you and he wants to talk to you in the night. He wants to talk to you in the night when you finally shut up and let him speak. He wants to talk. Not just for you, but for other people. He wants to warn you of things in your business and he wants to warn you of things in your family and he wants to reveal good things to come so that you're not concerned that it might be bad. And There's so much that he says in the night and we go, oh, pizza. Or we go, oh, someone will explain that to me. I'll just ask them. And we don't immerse ourselves in the stewardship of the language he wants to speak. God's love language is dreams. Are you willing to learn his way of talking instead of staying within the realm of what your personality likes? I remember reading uh, Good Morning Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. Catherine Kuhlman is a huge inspiration um, for me. Uh, none of these people in my books are considered perfect. I am just in awe of how they walked with Holy Spirit. And um, so I got all the books and videos I could on God's generals and listen to them too because I know that leadership's on my life. So I have to steward that relationship and I need to keep the fire burning. So I would go and listen and learn. Some of you are like, but I haven't gone to Bible college so I can't really do this thing. It's, you can Bible college your life away just by reading everything you can find at home. 
Do you know what I mean? There's so much resources out there for us to learn. There's so much we can learn. We don't have to just stay in our little lane and our little understanding and our category. Oh, and so I remember reading this book and going, if Holy Spirit, he really talks about the person, like this friendship. It's like if Holy Spirit is this friend, not just this uh, visions and senses and substance, because he's a presence, and I'm, I'm feeling the substance of Holy Spirit when I'm talking to him, and I can feel him like a river sort of pushing against me in a way, and there's all these substances that are normal, that are the manifestation of him that he's promised us, that we should all have, not just prophetic people. But I was like, if you can be this friend and just have these conversations, um, then you can be that for me. And I think a lot of us go, that's a bit presumptuous. Benny Hinn was obviously called and, you know, anointed, and that's why. Not with the Holy Spirit. That's for all of us. So I put the book down, and I went to the end of my bed, and I got on my knees, and I just said, Holy Spirit, if you can come to Benny Hinn, I believe that you can come to me. So would you come? I invited him on my knees. If you never know how to speak to Holy Spirit, try on your knees. He loves humility. He's Holy Spirit. The invitation isn't because I deserve it. It's because I long for it and I desire it. But He's Holy. And He came in that room and the pressure, the weight, the kabod glory of Holy Spirit. And I remember weeping for hours because, you know, you say it with this sudden stir of faith in your gut, and then when it actually happens, you're like, I can't believe this is happening, I can't believe this is happening, I can't believe this is happening. To this day, when we're in the room and the Holy Spirit falls, I'm a very weepy person, because the line that still goes through my head is, I can't believe you come. What, what is so important about us that the God who holds the whole world together wants to come, but He comes. And I know all of you, go look at your lives and how holy you've lived this week and tell me that it's worthy of everything that he is and that he should come. Is it? It's amazing that he comes. It just astounds me that he comes. And he came and I remember just this hunger grew and it took stewardship. It took pursuit. It took inner healing. <laughs> To do any relationship well, I had to have my heart healed. I was encountering him, but I was struggling with maturing in him, and I could see that. I could see the fruits not coming out in my life, and yet I was in fellowship with him. I was like, I think he's talking to me, but I think some things are stuck. So it, was, it still took inner healing, even though I was having encounter with Holy Spirit. He would ask me to do a week of speaking in tongues every night for at least an hour. These are things you get to do when you're not married and you don't have kids, it's great. And so I did, and you would learn stuff about him. Your seer realm opens up so much more. Um, spiritual warfare suddenly happens and you see things and you don't even have to have words, but speaking in tongues happens. You can open up the kingdom that is at hand and now in you just by obedience in this little relationship. You can exercise the gift without anyone around you. You can mature in him just in your obedience with him in secret. That place is the place that gives me confidence when I'm up here and he says, not this anymore, go here. It's from this voice that you've become familiar with and the sweetness that you've become familiar with. Because I can tell you what, there's so much that often happens in a room, especially when there's praise or warfare, where it could go either way because the delight is in what's happening as well as who we're worshiping. And it's so important to go, what is the one that we're worshiping wanting from us in this moment? 
We won't know the difference if we're not living led by him in our personal lives. We'll go, no, I want to sing another praise song. It's making me feel good. It's reminding me that it's going to be okay. Or, no, I want it quieter. He's always soft when he speaks, you know, through his word or through my friends. Like, this is too noisy. But if you can live connected and surrendered to him, he'll make you yell at home and he'll make you weep at home and he'll make you laugh about things at home and he'll make you walk around your home when everyone's asleep and bind things and get that house clean. There are crazy things that you'll suddenly be willing to do because you've fallen in love with the sweetness of this person. There's that parable about the treasure in a field and the man gives up everything he has to buy the treasure. Not that he's our possession. A lot of my stewardship meant that I stopped watching certain things on TV. I stopped listening to music that wasn't worship. I didn't really listen, have my phone. Back then it wasn't such a big deal anyway. Um, I couldn't go to some shops. I didn't go to certain houses. I didn't hang out with certain people. I was willing to sell everything that wasn't of worth in comparison to the treasure that I'd found. And I think in the Western society this is really hard. It's really hard to let go of everything else that sustains you. Let me give you an example. When I married Luke, I didn't have much. I'd sold a lot to live a year, sponsored as well in ministry with Paradox. And then I met him at the end of that year. And he didn't have a lot because he was part-time working but part-time a... Ironman triathlete, and he was being sponsored to do that, and that was what he felt he should do, was to be a professional Ironman athlete, which is crazy in itself. We got married, and I don't know if you know what Ironman athletes do during the week, but they do like five hours of <laughs> cycling, and two hours of swimming, and then three hours of running, and in between that, they sleep, and then they eat, and then they start again. So I hardly saw him, but I wasn't panicked because the Holy Spirit had told us that we were meant to be together and it was fine. But the Holy Spirit told me not to tell him to change course, but to honor the man that you've married. So I didn't say anything either. He, about three months into our marriage, Luke was driving home after one of his training sessions and the Holy Spirit said to him, it's not going to work like this. This is the last day. And he had been, when he had driven away, he was like, this doesn't feel like our marriage has health to it. Like we don't have much substance to build on. And so literally in one day and in one conversation, Luke felt to give up his career. To give up his career as an Ironman athlete. This is years that he's worked on. This is a standard of discipline that's shocking. And he just felt like I've been given a treasure it's my marriage, and I'm going to have to sell out everything else that I have to honor this one. That was his decision alone with Holy Spirit. Straight after that, it was difficult. He lost his job. We had no money. And I know that you can have family, and you can lean on family for... Have I still got your attention? You can lean on family for financial support, and that's a good thing. But we felt there was a line there, and we wanted to honor that line and honor what we as a little family needed to develop and cultivate to be responsible. 
And it was Luke who was like, no, I'm going to sell. So he sold his car so we could pay rent. He sold his bike so we could pay rent. He just kept on selling off everything he loved to treasure what he had. I had never seen that acted out so powerfully. I had never been so ministered to so powerfully as a wife who didn't demand it from him. He sold his treasures because he felt that the treasure that he'd been given was our marriage. I don't know if we've really understood what that's like with Holy Spirit, where we sell everything beautiful and good and lovely so that this is held and strong. Does that make sense? That you don't make it Holy Spirit's job to keep you going while you hold on to everything else. I had said to him, I'll sell my guitar. That's the one thing I had. And he said, I do not want you to sell your guitar. We will sell everything. I'll sell the Xbox. I'll sell that. He would tell me, he says, we're not selling the guitar. For him, it was like, you don't pay the cost. This is my willing cost to pay. The Lord wants me to learn something. He just knew. And so he laid everything down. It's amazing. Um, I'm so in love with my husband. <laughs> but it was a powerful message to me of what it is to lay down your life to know Holy Spirit. When he says lay down your life, that's what he's talking about. It's a treasure that you'd lay everything else for. It doesn't compare to knowing Holy Spirit, to knowing the voice of Holy Spirit. It took the time, it took being in the Word, it took worship, it took listening to teaching, reading, going to conferences, it took practicing, it took fasting, it took waiting, it took, it took speaking in tongues, it took faith, it took accountability, it took inner healing. Basically, to know Holy Spirit is to cost you everything. To walk in the grace of the Spirit will cost you nothing. It might. Oh man, it could kill you. It could totally kill you, but it'll cost you really nothing. It'll glorify you unless you know how to make it about Jesus. What he died and said that I'll, rose again and said, I'll give you something better so that you, when you war and when you obey and when you go back into hard places when you're finally out of them and when you lose everything and you thought that he was the one who was gonna make you prosperous, when all these things happen, when sickness comes, when pain comes, that you would have the one in you that you can lean into that never goes away, he's always findable. When, where, where in society, like I think of the armies that go to war for the country and my respect is through the roof because none of them are best friends with the king. They're doing it for their families and for the love of their country, which baffles me. I don't know if I just lay my life down for the love of the country and yet when he says to be ambassadors for him, it's for the love of the country that you do it. You learn to love the country, but I get to fight this war because I have my king in me. I have fellowship with the Lord of the army constantly next to me the whole time. I think we get intimidated, passive, apathetic, bored, complacent, angry, proud, stubborn, all these beautiful things because we haven't sat and gone, actually all of this is worth it because of oneness with him. Everything is, everything is bearable because of oneness with him. Nothing else is... If I turned off Jesus and just did life, it wouldn't satisfy me. It has nothing to do with prosperity. 
actually doesn't have anything to do with healing. A lot of us are in it for the healing. We're in it for the prosperity. We're in it for the safety. We're in it for the avoidance of pain. So I just wanted to kind of touch on these things before we even do more practical maybe teaching on how those senses work and how we can, um, I mean, half the deafness and the blindness is due to pride, period. It's all through scripture. You deaf and you blind, you are so rigid in your understanding. It's all through, it's just pride. I don't mean it rudely. I couldn't really see for myself, me and him, until my pride was crushed. I could see for others, but the personal part, those activations, that's the prophetic grace on me. But the actual senses alive to hear him and to have fellowship with him, that's, it breaks down and finally we can see and hear when pride goes. So I just wanted to touch on what I felt were essential, almost as landing pads of, yes, I agree that those are valuable. Before we even try and say, how do we... Oh, how do we sense it? What does that sense mean? Um, and sort of open or activate anything for, for us. I, I feel like we've done that in the past and it just falls through according to people's personality types. And that's frustrating me, to be honest. Or it's fallen through to, well, I, I'm a guy and I'm more this. I'm just... So I guess I wanted to just bring it to the fact that relationship is everybody's stream and relationship is everybody's personality type. Relationship with Holy Spirit doesn't come down to your grace on your life. And he does it through a manifestation of himself. And the, and the way that you can have this conversation and deep union with the Holy Spirit, for me, there's four things that I'm aware of. It's humility, which my understanding is your, your full dependence on him. It's that you need him, you depend on him, you cling to him, you repent and you clean your house. Humility, keep your house clean, he's holy. Second is awareness, we need to learn awareness. You need to learn sensitivities, senses, uh, dreams, thoughts. You cannot know that you're dreaming or you can choose to be aware that you have a dream life. There is actually a leaning into awareness that comes. Awareness of self, awareness, awareness of others, awareness of seasons, awareness of community seasons. There is so much that is just dull and flat. And it, all it takes is, can you hear the birds when you're walking through the street? And if you're walking through the street, can you hear the birds? Stop. And you'll start hearing birds. Awareness is purely tuning in. You will become aware of the Holy Spirit if you agree to live a life of awareness. It's a choice. We live with our eyes so much in the natural and our senses so into the natural. You just pick up the whole day and you haven't held every thought captive. You haven't gone, was I feeling like this before I left home? You haven't picked up what's being transmitted in a conversation behind words. There's just no awareness going on. We just live kind of like, I'm tired, good night. And yet we're called to live with our heavenly senses, the kingdom in us, fully active and awake. I'm a big believer that heaven on earth means both realms operating the whole time, and I'm in them. They transcend the whole time. I felt the Lord say uh, that we are like an ark, like Noah's ark. And the understanding that the ark could hold that many animals and creatures is illogical. 
Think about it. It's as if when they went inside, it was bigger on the inside than actually what it was built. And we are an ark. We are an ark of the Holy Spirit, but we're an ark of peace. We're an ark of hidden in Jesus. We're an ark. And as a mom, in this moment, literally, I talk about it as portaling, because I believe we're an ark. We're a portal where people can come in into the hiddenness of Jesus and go into the greatness of the kingdom just as much as we go out. But we go out as arks, and the kids are doing this, and this is that, and I sit there, and then I open my Bible for a second, and I'm like, portal. It's mine. I'm an ark. It's mine. Even if it's just three minutes, it's mine. Do you understand? We don't have to wait for a better moment where I'm finally peaceful before I hear the Holy Spirit. There's awareness that needs to kick in and be exercised. The third one I have is surrender. We need to hand over control. Wow, can you imagine having the prophetic gift and not handing over surrender? That's called control and manipulation and witchcraft. Surrender. Understanding, you have to surrender your understanding. You have to surrender your comfort. Surrender your will. That's not like, I'm going to walk over and you can abuse me. Surrender my will is um, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I want your will over what I think should happen or what I'm ready for in this moment. And so I bow. It's a submission that's holy, where his hand is ever careful holding you together but you surrender to your will and you say, I want the Lord's will today. Do you understand? It's not some sort of smash you over your head surrender. You surrender your dreams, you surrender the way, you surrender desires, you just surrender your preference, you surrender having the answer. It's actually like a lay down of everything that you think should work out that you think as God, because you're the God of your life until you surrender. You're the one making sense for you until you surrender. You're the one dictating if you have joy and if you're happy about life until you surrender. And then the fourth one I have is stewardship. This is that you obey, that you search out, that you study, that you honor, that you live in purity, that you record things. I record all my dreams, I write them down. I record um, what we would call coincidences. I record, I record things that are highlighted, I rewind. Often in conversation things go a little bit like, what's going on? But I have my conversation and then I go home and I rewind it and I track to see what was going on, not in a judging the moment, but in a where, what was the Holy Spirit saying because there were two voices in that moment. Do you rewind? Do you backtrack to understand so that you can learn what's happening in the spirit in a matter? I discuss, because I'm not really perfect, so it's better that I'm accountable. Are you accountable? Do you walk out your salvation journey? Stewardship is massively important if you want to grow. Maturity takes your choice, your offering, um, your searching out, your immersion, And I think because we live in such a natural and the airwaves are full of natural, or they tell you that it's natural, 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 Uh, this is happening, that's happening, opinions, your choice to immerse yourself in the spirit and spiritual things will help you hear the rhythm of what the river is doing, where Jesus is going, and to track in with that hope line the whole time. You don't get swayed when you're right in the river, but it's actually your choice to remain. It's your choice to feed there, and that's, that's how you kind of thrive It's that gut connection with Holy Spirit. So I guess I wanted to bring those up 
maybe a different approach to it all, but I, I wanted to unpack a bit of things I have learnt and that are great, but actually I didn't know him until humility, surrender, awareness, and stewardship kicked in, a deep value and a gratitude for his presence, a willingness to give up everything to keep it and to hear it, and to ask you, is this what you're pursuing when we say we're the church, we're the bride? That they may be one with me and one with us, like I am with you. The oneness, you know, we, 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 we see all the big things and we go, that's what the Lord wants. And, and yet, Lord, Lord, did we not do all those things? He says, I never knew you. What he desires is the oneness. Out of that, great things can happen and you won't die because of your pride and your blindness. Yeah? Is that okay? We can sustain revival. We can sustain the resting of the Holy Spirit if we can stay in oneness with Him. Let's do both. I'm gonna leave it at that because I'm aware of the time. We were going late anyway, but can you close? Because, yeah. We stand. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, that's a, that is a confronting scripture, Lord, um, where you outline, Jesus, that there would be some that would stand before you thinking that they knew you and discovering that they don't. But Lord, you, you shared that with us, not as a warning, but as an invitation, that you've given us a heads up. And in so doing, Lord, it's, it's not to, to make us fearful of, for when we do stand before you, I wonder if I'm going to get it right. But Lord, you are expressing your desire. That's not to have a people that do a whole lot of Christian-like things, but to have a people that know you and are known by you, that are deeply and intimately joined and connected to you. That is your invitation. That's what you're expressing, Jesus, that you're giving us that for, um, the forewarning, Lord, but, but not even something that if we, if we hear those words that we come into fear, God, but that we'd recognize this is an invitation to know you. But it's an invitation to prioritize maybe something that we haven't prioritized. So, Lord, we repent for where we haven't prioritized knowing you. But we haven't prioritized loving you. Or maybe we've prioritized it just for certain times on certain days. But it hasn't been the, the residing state of our heart or our mind or our intentionality, Lord. Where we've allowed other things to become more important. But you promised Jesus that you would come and make your home in us and that you would manifest yourself to us. So we pray that you would come now, Holy Spirit. We invite your presence, Lord, and we invite you just to manifest, Lord. 
Even Jesus, you said to the woman at the well that you would that you would become a wellspring in us, Lord. That it would bubble up, that it would flow out, Lord. There would be an experience and an expression of you, not to wow us or to excite people, but just to let us know that you're there. Sometimes, Lord, it's not you'll manifest yourself, not because you have some major world-changing assignment for us, Lord, but just because you want to say hello. Just because you want to say good morning. Say, hey, I love you today. You know, I love you every bit. I just want you to know I love you today. It's like when I tell my children that I love them, they don't. They don't think that when I don't say it, that I don't love them. But I want them to know that I love them. And sometimes that's what you want to speak to us, Holy Spirit. Not a grand prophetic word, not the outlining of our destiny, but just the daily intimate fellowship. If you wanted us to rely on a book, you wouldn't have sent your spirit. If you wanted just to encounter us every now and then, Lord, you wouldn't have made your home in us, Lord. But you decided, you know what, you know what I'm going to do when I send my spirit? It's not going to float around people. It's not going to show up here and there. We're going to make our home in each person that we call our child. We're going to come and we're going to live inside of them. Wow, God. Wow, that you would do that. And Lord, you do call us to live lives of obedience. And those lives of obedience will call us to live beyond ourselves. And so you do grace us, Lord, that you do empower us, that you do, because you call us in obedience to go and pray for someone who needs healing. And you will grace us with healing, Lord. You will, you will tell us to go and prophesy over somebody and you will grace us with a prophetic word. But it's not because we're prophetic, it's because we have every thought of God dwelling in us. You, the Holy Spirit. So we thank you that you're training us, Lord, as your children. You're maturing us, God. But we need you, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit. And we invite you, come, have your way. Reveal anything, Lord. If we have judgments against you, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal them, you would convict our hearts, and you would bring us to repentance, Lord. That if we've judged spiritual people, Lord, that you would expose our heart, you would bring us to repentance, Lord. If we made some sort of promise, maybe when we were younger, we saw something that would never be like that person, or we'd never go into those things, Lord. Father, if we have control, we want to keep control of things, Lord, and so we're not willing to hand over control to you. Lord, if we have pride that's blocking us from receiving you, we pray, Lord, that you would come and you'd minister to those areas. You would expose, you'd reveal, and you would show us, Lord, to come in repentance, Lord. It's your kindness, God. And Lord, if we don't know 
how to choose humility, Lord. We pray that you would humiliate us, God, because that is what you do. You are so kind, Lord, that you give us the opportunity for humility, but you are so kind that you will break through, Lord. Even as Rachel shared, Lord, as you broke through her pride, Lord, you've broken through my pride so many times, Lord, and it's humiliating, God, when our pride gets exposed, but it's your kindness, Lord. Your holy humiliation, Jesus, that's how good you are. That you would break on through, God, our hard hearts. You would break through our arrogance, Lord. You would break through our foolishness, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We bless you. We give you prominence, Lord, and we pray, Holy Spirit, just for a grace to tune in to you, Lord, just to give you our attention, Lord, throughout the day. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You know, I just really do encourage you on a practical note, like Rachel's thing of, of attention, like some, that's my thing, is my brain is constantly going 100 miles an hour thinking about things. So I have to act actively tune in and give space in my head to listen to the Holy Spirit. You might be one of those people. You might just be busy, but it's just finding time and it can be, and it's not that you say, oh, well, I'll just do it when I'm driving, but do it, listen to him while you're driving. You know, don't just like add Holy Spirit onto a task you're already doing, but add him onto every task that you're doing, if that makes sense. You know, sometimes we go, oh yeah, well, I'll just, you know, I've got five minutes in the car, I guess I'll pray then. If that's the only, th I'm not saying that should be the only place, but also don't then say, oh, well, that has to be when I'm just alone and I've lit some candles and I've got soft worship music on, I've got a nice soft cushion and okay, and then I'll give my attention to Holy Spirit. Do that, absolutely, because you'll, be, you'll, you'll tune out everything else and you'll be in that best place. Or you might, you know, be a nature person and go and find him in nature. But the purpose of finding him in nature is that you can bring him into every other realm because you get to know him. You might be someone, I, I find him in this place. Then when you find him in that place, you don't leave him in that place. <laughs> Wherever you find Holy Spirit, don't leave him there. That's my tip.